Hello, and welcome again to the Apologist Bookshelf. Hi, I'm Gary Zacharias. I wanted to uh, share a book with you, actually several books with you, by a man named Dan Story, S-T-O-R-Y, Dan Story. Uh, he's become a really good friend of ours and uh, an interesting person. Uh, good heavens, he's been on over 50 radio programs nationwide. He's been on television. He offers uh, creation care and apologetic workshops. If you take a look at his website, it's Dan Story, all one word, danstory.net, and you'll find a lot of uh, good things there that he's got for you. But he's got so many good books. Um, he's got one called Defending Your Faith. He's got another one called The Christian Combat Manual, and we use that book in our apologetics class. I just wanted to give you an example of what he does in that book. Besides having great chapters, let me give you some ideas of uh, what's what you can encounter in that book. So he has things like uh, how to demonstrate to atheists that God exists, the area of creation and evolution, things like postmodernism, uh, Jesus, is he a man of history or a man of myth? And of course, it's just full of great information. But at the end, he's got an appendix that is a way to practice Socratic responses. In other words, when people raise questions, how can we do? Well, we do counter questions that can challenge the non-Christians to justify and explain their positions. It's a great tactic. Instead of feeling like we have to provi provide all the answers, if, if somebody else raises the issue, it's up to them to provide evidence. So like, something like this. Somebody says, well, I don't believe the Bible. Okay, well, we can say, well, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's true. I'll, I'll give you a bunch of evidence. Well, maybe we can't give that much evidence. We can turn it right around. They've made the claim. It's up to them to provide the evidence. So if they say, I don't believe the Bible, we can ask, have you read or studied the Bible? <clears throat> if they say no, then you're saying you don't believe in something you know nothing about. And if they say yes, what don't you believe about the Bible and why don't you believe it? Or what about this? Somebody says, science proves miracles never happen. How does science prove miracles never happen? Miracles are a matter of history and are verified by eyewitness. Can science prove anything that's historical in nature, like the existence of George Washington? If a transcendent personal God exists, aren't miracles possible, even probable? So he's got other books that are really, really good. But the one I wanted to focus on this time by Dan is called Should Christians Be Environmentalists? And uh, I had Dan come one time to our apologetics class, and he won everybody over. At first, people thought he was going to be some extreme environmentalist, uh, you know, tree hugger, whatever you want to call him. And uh, he... He was kind. He was wise. Uh, he did an excellent presentation, and so everybody understood what he was talking about. So this book, Should Christians Be Environmentalists, does an excellent job talking about what should the Christian position be when it comes to environmentalism. And Dan said when he wrote this book, he said he wanted to encourage good stewardship by coming up with a Bible-based theology of nature. Is there such a thing? Yes. Dan spends a lot of time on that. He says also he wrote the book to present an apologetic to people who are environmentalists, but they're anti-Christian, and they claim that Christianity is the root cause of environmental problems in this country. He also says a third purpose was to have a point of contact with non-Christians as a starting point for conversations. And he says that he's uh, seen surveys that show concern about the environment is way up at the top of the list of young people's concerns for the future. So this is a good way to get a conversation going with them. So what I'm going to do is 
skip part of the book. As you know, I just try to do a chapter. But I, man, I can hardly skip any of it. It's all so good. But he, he talks about creation first. He talks about the fact of creation. God is different from his creation. He transcends it. He is eminent. He's found in it. Uh, but he's not the same as nature. He maintains it. He made man in his own image. And that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, he says, well, what does that mean to be made in God's image? Well, it says the majority of theologians say it's things like self-awareness, the capacity to reason and create rather than just react to instinct. And an important thing that Dan brings up is that God values nature. Yes, he does. It's independent of people, but never equal to or above. And that's, of course, where some of the environmentalists these days have uh, kind of switched the order. The, the, the other animals, the other creatures, the other whatever out in the world have more value than people. And, and he says, no, that's not true. And he gives a lot of Bible verses for that. So I'm going to skip over that because that's all really good. But I'd like to look at a chapter called The Fall and how that opened the door to environmental exploitation and abuse. And that's, of course, a real tragedy. And uh, God, but the good news is that God decreed the human race was supposed to be his stewards over creation. In other words, we have a moral obligation to manage nature according to this God-ordained directive. Now, we've unfortunately walked away from it, but it's there. It's in Genesis. It's in the Bible. Okay, so let's come to the, the chapter that I'll spend more time on. It's called Redemption. And I really like what Dan does here. He says that nature right now is in trouble because of the fall. And nature's redemption is going to depend on us, our redemption. And he gets that from Romans 8, 19 to 21. So I'll let you look that one up. And the biblical fact, Dan points out, is that it's not only the human race that's waiting to be redeemed, but it's the physical world as well. And so it says, he uses Romans, he talks a lot about that, I'm going to skip over it, and he says, here's the part that I think is crucial. Jesus, when he was here, he talked about the kingdom of heaven, and he said uh, that it, it actually entered history when he showed up, and that Christians enter at the moment they become saved. So it's true that the kingdom of heaven, it's not going to be fully established until our resurrected bodies enter the new heaven and new earth. But our redemption begins in this world. And he says, we need to be cognizant of this. We need to recognize as we work to develop a biblical theology of nature and to have environmental ethics. So he says, it's true, nature will really be healed in the future new earth, but that'll be God's work, not ours. But he says, in the meantime, just as we are supposed to be transforming ourselves on earth, he, should be, he said we should be fulfilling our stewardship responsibilities in addition. Now, he mentions Francis Schaeffer in his book called Pollution and the Death of Man, and I think it's worth quoting this. God's calling to the Christian now and to the Christian community in the area of nature, just as it is in the area of personal Christians living in true spirituality, is that we should exhibit a substantial healing here and now between man and nature and nature in itself, as far as Christians can bring it to pass. I like that last part there, as far as Christians can bring it to pass, because obviously this is going to be a supernatural work, but we can roll up our sleeves and begin to get some of that done. So he spends a chapter then talking about stewardship, and he takes us back to Genesis 1. And uh, I'd like to 
take the King James Version here that Dan refers to. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Of course, that's crucial. they got a couple of words there. It says we're supposed to subdue the earth and have domination over nature. Now, he says we need to understand how to interpret effectively. He says it sounds kind of harsh when you say subdue and dominion, but it said this was given to mankind when Adam and Eve were in the garden. It was a paradise. So it says it doesn't have anything to do with battling or destroying nature. There's nothing to conquer there. So whatever the two words subdue and dominion mean, they don't carry the idea of being a tyrant and uh, having the freedom to just smash nature. And he says nature, uh, modern translations have gotten rid of those words like dominion uh, and use the word rule instead. And so it says the biblical idea of dominion is only dimly reflective of what the idea was originally. He says as they relate to mankind's involvement with nature, it doesn't mean we're going to exploit and despoil the creation. Here we go again. mentioned this before. It implies stewardship. It's like a caretaker. Right, so that's really different, isn't it, to be a caretaker and to be a steward? You know, if you go away for a while and somebody takes care of your house, they don't rip the boards apart and sell them. They don't tear the plumbing out and sell the pipes. <clears throat> they paint your house if it needs painting. They uh, watch the roof, make sure it's not leaking. And that's the idea. We're supposed to have a stewardship. We're supposed to be caretakers over nature. And that should make us see things in a very different way. Dan says people are custodians. They don't own the earth. They're custodians. Somebody said this. We're supposed to use it, but only for God's sake. Only like Adam in paradise, cultivating it for the Lord. So the biblical view, he's quoting several theologians, is that we're supposed to be keepers, caretakers, custodians, curators. So I think that's a good way to think about it. He says the conservation and preservation of nature are Christian imperatives. That's another author referring to it here. So we have been appointed. What a responsibility, huh? We're stewards. We're supposed to take care of God's property. So Adam was a caretaker, and that's exactly what we're supposed to be. He says the consequences of of poor stewardship that says the Bible says we're going to be held accountable for bad responsibility. He goes to Revelation 8, uh, 11, 18. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great. And then this part's in italics. And for destroying those who destroy the earth. So he has a Bible expositor talk about that phrase there. Sinful man has polluted and destroyed God's wonderful creation, and he's going to pay for it. Creation is for God's praise and pleasure. Man has no right to usurp that which rightfully belongs to God. So our response is to be stewards, and we're supposed to do a good job. We're supposed to love God, so we should protect what God thinks is is important. Anyway, this is a, a, a good book. I think everybody needs to take a look at this. Should Christians be environmentalists? Um, Dan's a great individual. He writes well, very thoughtful. Oh, I mentioned, I forgot to mention one of his. It's called, uh, Will Dogs Chase Cats in Heaven? Is that a great title? 
Now that's a, I'll get to that one sometime, but it's, uh, what do we do with, with the idea of animals? Will they ever join people in heaven? What, a, what an interesting idea. I hadn't thought about that at all and uh, read the book and got a lot out of it. So I hope to share that some in some future podcasts. But in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us and uh, talk to you later.